So Jacob's sons did as he had commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah, near Mamre, which Abraham had bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God your father. When the message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph stayed in Egypt, along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also the children of Machias, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Why does God let bad things happen to good people? And beyond just the good people, why does God allow evil at all? What was he thinking about with that whole tree thing? If he hadn't have put that tree in the garden, then Adam and Eve couldn't have sinned. But he did. And now we're in a mess and children are dying and families are falling apart and nations are in conflict. And we're left asking the question, why? Why does God let bad things happen? Why does God allow evil in the world? And let's face it, this is a constant question of our Christian existence. This is the question that torments us in the dark of night. Whether unbelievers are asking us of it or not, we're still wondering, is God sovereign? Is he good? And if he is, then why doesn't he stop this stuff? Why doesn't he stop the Taliban? Why doesn't he? Stop the terrible blast in Lebanon last year. What about the coronavirus and, and slavery in the big kilns in Pakistan and starvation in refugee camps? And the list just rolls on and on. And under the weight of it all, we start to come undone, don't we? We know God's sovereign. He created the world, didn't he? And, and we know he's good. He sent his son to die for our sins, didn't he? But still we wonder if he is sovereign and, and he is good then why allow evil in the world at all? Why does he let bad things happen to good people? It's a massive issue for us. And if we throw our hands in the air at this, in defeat at this moment, if, if we reject God and say it's just all too hard and we just can't know, well, then we'll live in fear. 
We'll have no peace, and in our anxiety, we'll start trying to take matters into our own hands. We'll grasp hold of every waking moment, start grasping hold of every breath, start grasping hold of our health as if it'll save us, grasping on to our possessions as if they'll protect us. Fearing circumstances might change, fearing misfortune at every turn, and worst of all, fearing being generous to other people. Fearing we'll lose out if we stop protecting ourselves for just a moment. Fearing loss if we use our resources to benefit others. When we reject God, we give way to fear. We give way to fear very quickly. And when when we Christians forget who God is and what God's doing, then we give way to fear just like everyone else and we become tight fisted, miserly people, jealous for our time, jealous for our health, jealous for our money, jealous for our circumstances, fearing for our lives. And it's nothing new. I mean, we experienced that, but we didn't invent this here in the 21st century. No, this is deeply ingrained in all humans. Just look at Joseph's brothers in our passage. Will just read for us. Look at what they do and say once their father is dead. Verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. Oh, they're grasping, aren't they? They're grasping, grasping at anything they can to stay alive, even putting lies into the mouth of their dead father in hope of saving themselves from the vengeance they deserve. Fearing for their lives, grasping at everything they can, they dramatically throw themselves down before their brother Joseph. We are your slaves. And what does Joseph do? He weeps. Joseph weeps. Joseph weeps at their brokenness and their self-protective lies. And Joseph speaks. He weeps and he speaks and he speaks directly into their fear. And listen carefully now to what he says. Listen carefully for here is the gospel. This is the good news of life. Here is the answer to the question of evil in our world and what God is doing when he allows it to happen in our hearts. Listen to this, verses 19 to 21. Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. Well, not only do we see here this amazing answer to why God allows evil, so too here we see the person transformed by that amazing answer. The person transformed by this wonderful truth of how God works in the world. Look at how Joseph wept with compassion. Look at how he withheld vengeance. Look at how he forgave them. Look at how he reassured them. 
and spoke kindly to them and provided for them and their children. And by the end of the chapter, he even entrusts his own future to them with his body in death, trusting that they will now start living by the promises God has given him. And they'll do it without him. And then just like that, the book of beginnings ends. It ends with this lesson clearly on display for us to see. In fact, Genesis wasn't complete until this question of evil and God's purposes had an answer, until it was addressed. So what is the place of evil in the plans of a good and a sovereign God? Why does he allow people to do evil things? We need to know, didn't we? And now we do. Because we need to know that nothing, that nothing and no one is outside the power of God's hand. And we need to know that all things work for the good of those who love him. And we need to know that God protects his promises and that not even the nastiest, deepest reaches of sin and evil can separate us from the love of God. And as important as it is to know all this, because it could have been written real quick, couldn't it? But as important as that is, that's not actually enough. See, we also need to know what it looks like to believe it. Not just to know it, but to believe it in our hearts and then also to live it in our lives. Because trusting in God's sovereign goodness over evil, it does actually look like something. And it doesn't look like something else. It doesn't look like Joseph's brothers snatching and grabbing and scraping and grasping, holding on for dear life. It does look like Joseph. Joseph's confidence that God is both sovereign and good. It means he knows his place under God and he's calm. He's content and he freely provides even for his mortal enemies that deserve his wrath. No, he freely forgives and provides. He reassures, speaking kindly to them and also urging them to trust in the promises of God that this land and this life is not their home. That's what it looks like. Believe, to know and to live this amazing truth. How good is it? How good is it? No wonder they turned this into a Broadway musical. Joseph and his coat of many colours. You know that one? No wonder they did because this is the most famous of all the stories in the Bible. It's the most astonishing thing that happens. And no wonder we excited and remember this because here is the gospel of our salvation. That God is both sovereign and good and evil cannot overthrow him so much so that he's even clever enough to turn evil around so that it serves his good purposes so that it perfectly fits in his plan to give us life. Now we're going to find the detail of that gospel in much more detail later on in the Bible, but there it is in its pattern form. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. The saving of many lives. Friends, this is the greatest news in all the world. And this is the news that that we Christians celebrate daily. And transformed Joseph, the prince among his brothers, 
Well, he was the first man in history to understand it. The first one to really grasp this. Now, how did that happen? How did this guy get to know that much and understand what we struggle with so much? How did an ancient Jewish-born Egyptian prime minister come to be a mature follower of God, smarter and more secure than most of us living today? How? (laughs) You're not going to like the answer. He got there through suffering. He learned it through lonely, unjust, appalling suffering. Suffering that came his way from the hand of God in God's providence. It sounds bizarre to hear it. it. It sounds ironic to say it. But personal suffering is what opens the eyes of the Christian to recognize the kindness and the glory of God. Suffering is, in fact, the only setting in which we truly learn to trust his goodness. And it's the only process through which we can become the mature people God made us to be. And this this transformation through suffering, well, it it doesn't happen quickly. It, It doesn't come fast. And that's what we also learn from Genesis. Joseph didn't learn this in a weekend or in one single tragic moment that all of a sudden everything became clear. No, but rather it's more like you and I. He learned it over a lifetime of difficulty and it all began in his own family. It all began with the suffering and betrayal that happened with his own family. You see... Where we end in Genesis with him as prime minister and in charge and all that stuff is not where he starts. No, we need to roll back a bit. We come back to Genesis 37 and we find there that, well, Joseph is the firstborn son of the beloved wife, Rachel, of Jacob. Joseph's dad, Jacob. And Joseph's dad, Jacob, foolishly raised Joseph to prominence above all his other children. And Joseph wasn't actually the firstborn. He was just the firstborn of Rachel. Now, meanwhile, God also gave Joseph two dreams which Joseph accurately interpreted as God making him ruler over his brothers. Now, all this was, was lovely for Joseph, you know, the favourite of your father and the dreams from God. But being on the receiving end of so much privilege, so much prosperity, so much blessing, <laughs> well, Joseph got a big head and he couldn't hold his tongue. He became full of himself and he started parading around as if he owned the place. And what happens when the youngest gets too big for their britches? Well, we know what to do, don't we? cut them down to size we cut them down don't we that's what you do with tall poppies we cut them down we put them in their place and and that's precisely what joseph's brothers did to him but more than just an an ego wound or a nasty beating led by judah no they faked his death they lied to his father and sold joseph to slave traders heading for egypt judah and the rest Of his brothers, well, they thought they were getting rid of him and his influence forever. But what they didn't count on was the intense heartbreak of their father Jacob, which further ripped their family apart. Well, meanwhile, for Joseph, 
the Egyptians made good use of his God-blessed skills and his good looks for the first 10 years while he was there. But again, it was those very blessings that caused his downfall. Egyptian envy and protective jealousy saw Joseph framed for something he didn't do and got him thrown into the king's own prison to rot away for the rest of his life. And just when it all looks like maybe this evil has overcome God's good plans, instead, we now see the marvellous hand of God in how he had perfectly arranged things just right. For not only does Joseph soon come to be in charge of that prison, into that very prison, God placed two servants of Pharaoh who were tormented by their dreams. And it just so happens that Joseph knew a God who could interpret dreams. And it just so happens that they trusted hard-working Joseph. And it just so happens that Joseph's interpretation of both their two dreams is 100% accurate. And it just so happens that two years after one of them's release, God tormented Pharaoh with dreams that no one can understand. And it just so happens that Pharaoh's servant remembered Joseph. And in the blink of an eye, Joseph became the man of the moment from prison to prime minister in just one day. And by following God's interpretation of Pharaoh's dream, Joseph put into place in Egypt an economic plan that meant millions would survive a devastating famine that God was bringing their way in a number of years to come. And Joseph ruled and cared for the people of Egypt under Pharaoh for nine years until at last that famine became so severe and so far-reaching that it reached all the way into the tents of Joseph's family living there in the land of Canaan. And just like that, famously, Jacob sent Joseph's brothers to Egypt to buy food. <laughs> what a coincidence, eh? Not. And can you imagine the moment as they came together with Joseph to buy food? Oh, what an opportunity for sweet revenge there in Joseph's hands. What an opportunity to, to speak up at the moment and prat on these nasty brothers like he did back when he was younger. But this time, with all the force of self-control that he had learned, Joseph was silent. Through suffering, Joseph had learned to hold his tongue. Through suffering, Joseph had learned godly wisdom and God's good timing and amazing patience. And, and even though he recognized these were his brothers right here before him, bowing before him in ignorance, he also remembered his childhood dreams. That the first was being fulfilled right now in front of him, in front of his face at this moment, but there's still one to go. And so Joseph secretly puts his brothers now to the test and waits for that second dream to be fulfilled. And the tension is exquisite as we wonder what's going to happen next. And then miraculously, we also see in those chapters that in God's providence, that the patient test of Joseph becomes the making of Jacob's fourth son, Judah. 
See, unbeknownst to Joseph, Judah, remember, he's the brother who executed Joseph's demise all those years before. Well, Judah has likewise been on a lifelong journey of personal suffering that has now transformed him into a wiser, more compassionate man. And in the playing out of Joseph's test, Judah shines brightly at last. You see, Judah, he, he now loves his father more than himself. And he cannot bear to cause him heartbreak a second time. And so Judah lays down his life to save his brother Benjamin, even though Benjamin is guilty. Oh, what a turn of events. And for us reading on, for us reading on, we learn that the tests of suffering have a marvelous place in refining the character and the love of God's people. And for Joseph watching on in real time, seeing that God has fulfilled this second dream. Well, Joseph now knows the time is right and he reveals his identity and mercifully acts to protect the lives of his still unworthy brothers. Oh yes, Joseph knew that they had intended everything for evil. And yet Joseph knows what they don't know. That while they had intended it for evil, God had intended it for good to accomplish in all the world the saving of many lives. Something something only God, only God could do. Oh, this is good, isn't it? This is so good. Do you see what this means? Do you see what this all means for us? That, that God's promises are life-giving, life-sustaining promises. And then when God acts to, to protect his promises, well, life begins again. Relationships reconcile. Mercy streams and, and people are brought together in love. Because God protects his promises, life flows not only to the descendants of Abraham and through that family, but through their faithfulness to God, to all the world around them as well, also gets blessed. Do you see it? Do you see now what God is doing when he allows evil to happen to his children? And do you see what happens to the person in that suffering who's taught by that suffering that God is sovereign and God is good? So it's not just a good outcome, that comes from it, but there's a good work that is done in that person's life as well. Look at Joseph. Look at Judah. Look, look at the freedom of Joseph. Look at the humility of Joseph. Look at the generosity of Joseph. Look at the love of Joseph towards his enemies. Look at the sacrifice of Judah. Look at the love he has for those that are not his own. Oh, what it would be to know God like they do. What it would be to live like that toward those who hurt us. What, what freedom. What love. What wisdom. What peace. Do you want that love? Do you want that, that kind of wisdom, that kind of peace? That, do you want that freedom? Well, it, guess what? It, it's ours for the taking. It's ours for the asking, for the receiving from God's hand. How? I mean, we don't live back there in Egypt. No, no, but it's, it's uncanny, you know, that this Joseph character, 
He looks and sounds just like someone else who we're going to meet later in the Bible, whose name also starts with J. He's going to do something like Judah did. And in fact, the lion of the tribe of Judah, who, like Judah, for the love of his father, will willingly lay down his life to save the guilty. And who, like Joseph, will give life to all who ask him for it, deserving or not. You see, because God protects his promises, something good, something, something very good is going to come from Abraham's descendants. It's going to come from one of these 12 sons of Israel who will bring God's people into God's place, under God's rule, where life will be theirs forevermore. And all this is what he gives us today through his son, Jesus. Now, there's, there's a lot to go in the Bible to see how that plays out, to see how that's going to play out in Jesus. And we will read on, we need to read on, we must read on. Yet, as we put down today this, this first book of the Bible, we should note that the beginnings are now completed and we now have everything we need to move forward to see how it plays out. That all-important explanation for present evil is here before us as is the promise of how we'll be eternally saved from all evil, it's spoken by this faithful God who protects his promises through thick and thin. So as we close Genesis, let's mark it. Let's put a marker here. Let's put an Ebenezer in the ground here at Genesis 50 so we don't forget. So on your outlines, our kingdom table's been shaped and refined once more. It should now read as follows. God's people are the families of the 12 sons of Israel. God's place is not Egypt. No, Joseph has made very clear that to his brothers. Verse 24, rather it's the land promised on Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And God's rule, God's marvellous rule is his constant protection and aid. People, families of the 12 sons of Israel. The place, land promised to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And the rule, never ceasing protection and aid. Well, that's what we mark there in that moment, but we're going to move on from that moment, aren't we, as we keep seeing what God does next, how he develops these promises. But for us today, as we close this off, as we move into the coming week, friends, let's be sure, let's be sure to remember who God is and what he's doing in our world in every moment. Let's not become those cranky, tight-fisted people who, having forgotten about God, are now grasping onto anything and everything that might save us from some kind of hardship and death. Sure, death is evil. Yes, it is. But evil is no problem for God. And death is no problem for God either. And our suffering is what's going on as he refines us and makes us more beautiful people worth knowing. He is sovereign and he is good and in his perfect timing, even evil and death are used to accomplish the saving of many lives. Like Joseph, you and I, well, we might end up dead in our coffin long before the promises of God are ultimately fulfilled. That might be the case, but, but God is faithful and we know that he will do it. And we know this better than Joseph because we live this side of the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. We know better than Joseph 
what it means for human intended evil to be God intended method for the saving of many lives. And better than Joseph, we know who the line of the tribe of Judah is. We know. And we have his words spoken tenderly to those who fall at his feet. Just as with John in Revelation chapter 1, our living Lord, the Lord Jesus, places his right hand upon us and speaks and he reassures us in our fear. He says, do not be afraid. Am I in the place? Sorry, I am in the place of God. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. That's our living Lord who loves us. And friends, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So come to him. Come to him. We don't need to be afraid. Come to him. Come to him if you've strayed. Come back to him if you've strayed. Come, come to him and stray no more. For he is our hope. He is our salvation in this life and the life to come. With him as our ruler, we don't need to be afraid anymore. God be praised. Hallelujah. 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 Well, friends, this is such a good news story. Let's rejoice in it together. Let's take a moment to sing and celebrate. And, and, and like prayer, sing in prayer. Come thou fount of every blessing. That's our song. Will you sing it with me now as we celebrate? Fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious song. Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mountain fixed upon it Mount of God's unchanging love Here I Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of From danger, interpose his precious.
precious mind Oh, to grace how great a debtor Daily I'm constrained to be Let thy grace now like a fetter Bind my wandering heart to be Prone to wander, Lord, I feel Prone to leave the God I love Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it Seal it for thy courts above Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it Seal it for thy courts above Take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it, seal it for thy. Well, friends, thanks for joining with us online today. I hope you've been encouraged by the sovereign goodness of our God in the face of evil. What a comfort it is to not be afraid anymore. And what transformation is possible when we understand how God is at work in the world and look what he's doing in the world and what he's doing even near us as that new church begins here in the northern suburbs. God is busy, present, past, future, and we're safe in his hands. What will he do next? Uh, Well, let's think about the Bible. We don't know what he's going to do next here except for send Jesus' return. We look forward to that. But what's he going to do next in the Bible as we move on from here? Is Joseph's bones going to stay in a box in Egypt? And how's he going to get him out of Egypt? And how will he deliver on that promise that he has made? Well, join us next week as we dig into the book of Exodus. We open it right up and see how God does amazing things in action in all that is yet to come.